welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, why not check out our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Well, we are in this sermon series called Insights and uh, gosh, how many of you have actually had some insights? I, I found it really, there have been some things I didn't know. And today is hopefully going to be some more things you didn't know. How many of you have have ever heard a sermon on the book of Jude before? Bill. Bill, you've got a few added years on the rest of us. Um, I have never heard a a sermon on the book of Jude. Uh, There isn't much out there. uh, Well, you know, when you you start preparing a sermon, you go to Google first. Well, you go to the Word of God first, and then you go to Google. (laughs) And, uh, and there's not much there either, it has to be said, but our conviction is that all scripture is God-breathed, and to quote 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the men of God and women of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So I am praying that this morning we all learn something that we're all trained and taught. Uh, the other reason it might be good to read the book of Jude is that one day we might meet Jude in person in heaven and it would be really embarrassing if we'd never read his book. So let's get stuck in. Jude is one of the smallest books in the Bible. It only actually has 25 verses. Thank you. Jude has 25 verses. It makes it quite hard to find. So if you're struggling to find it in a Bible, go to Revelation and turn left and it's just there. Um, it's less than one page. And it's right at the end of the Bible. And Jude introduces himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, we understand that he was actually the youngest brother of James. He was about 15 uh, years, oh, sorry, uh, yeah, brother of James. And he, he's actually one of Jesus's four half-brothers. He was about 15 years younger than Jesus. And that meant that as he was growing up, he was hanging around Jesus. He was following him around like little brothers do. They look up to their elder brothers. But interestingly, none of Jesus's four brothers actually followed Jesus during his earthly life. It wasn't until after they'd witnessed Jesus's resurrection that the four brothers started to follow him and to worship their elder brother. And all four of them became leaders in the church. Uh, Jude was known as a traveling teacher or a missionary. So let's get stuck in. I'm not going to read the whole of the book of Jude to you. If you've got a gadget or a phone or a Bible, uh, you might want to follow along with me. I'm going to just pick little bits out as we go. So at the very beginning, Jude says, the book was written to those who are called, who are loved in God, in the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So he wasn't writing just to one church. He was writing to the whole church. He was writing to all believers, and that includes us. He was writing also to a people who had a deep knowledge of Jewish history. He, they knew well the Old Testament, but they also knew other popular Jewish literature, And here's Jude, he's right at the end of his life. The first apostles have all died and the church is growing rapidly around the area. And as it's growing, certain problems are occurring in the church which hadn't happened before. And the letters at the very end of the New Testament are written by um, some of these, these teachers, these followers of Jesus, to address the things that were going wrong in the early church. So you see in the books of 1 and 2 John, they're addressing what happens when leaders are heretical, when they become heretics, when they deviate from the faith. 
And then if you go to 3 John, you get the question of what happens when leaders are bullies. The letter of Jude a, a kind of approaches another really crucial problem. What happens when leaders are immoral? What happens when they advocate immoral living and become a corrupting influence in their churches? And so here in verse 4 is why Jude has actually written the letter. He says this, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Gosh, heavy stuff. So what Jude is saying is that leaders have crept into the early church and they're effectively saying anything goes. They're allowing immorality in the church and it's actually resulting in a denial of the sovereignty of Jesus. They're rejecting Jesus' teaching and his authority. And the argument seems to have gone something like this. Okay, we believe in Jesus. We know we're loved by God. We are saved by grace. So now we're free to do whatever we want. We can behave in any way that we want to. We can behave sexually in an immoral way because we know that we're going to be forgiven. It's actually a form of Gnosticism, which would be the idea that whatever I do with my body actually has no impact on my spirit. And that is the problem that Jude is specifically addressing in this book. It's the abuse of God's grace and the turning to immorality that is actually ignoring the teaching of Christ. Now, in one of our... Um, bits of research, we came across this story, which actually really quite illustrates this, um, this thing about grace. This is a commentary on Jude by David Pawson. He says this, imagine that you see a man drowning in a river. You pull your jacket and shoes off and dive in and pull him out. And he shakes your hand and says, oh, brother, you've saved my life. Thank you so much. Then he turns around and walks back into the river and shouts again, help, save me, save me. So you dive in again, you pull him out, you get him dry, and he says, oh, thank you, that's twice you've saved me. I am so grateful. And then he turns around and he walks back in again. How many times are you going to pull him out? Do you know what you'll be thinking? If you're not saying before long, you'll say, you don't want to be saved. Grace does not mean that you can live the way you like for the rest of your life and God will forgive you. He accepted you so that you could stop doing what you were doing. That is his amazing method to reform us, not to let us off. That's a great illustration of what Jude is talking about here. Hudson Taylor says, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. We can't just keep on doing what we feel like and expect it to be okay. The other thing that makes the book of Jude really quite interesting, and if I'm honest, quite difficult to understand, is that Jude draws on a particular type of literature called apocryphal literature. It's not included in our Bibles today. And he is referencing the book of 1 Enoch and the Testament of Moses, which you probably won't have read. Jude is unique in this. He uses this material, and it's quite possibly because the false teachers themselves were justifying their position on the basis of some of the things that you can find in those manuscripts. So the readers of Jude would have known these manuscripts. But in the words of Miranda, bear with, all will become clear in a minute. So the bulk of the letter of Jude is a warning and an argument against these false teachers. And it starts with a greeting in verses 1 and 2. 
To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. Mercy, peace and love. This is almost how Paul greets the churches. Paul starts most of his letters with grace and peace. But Jude leads with mercy. And it's really important. We're going to come back to this later. At the end of the book, there's a beautiful passage in which Jude encourages believers to both wait for the mercy of God, which will bring them to eternal life, but also to show mercy to others who doubt or who have been led astray. And then in verse 3, we see Jude's opening charge. Dear friends, Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once entrusted to God's holy people. I think that Jude sat down to write a really nice letter to them about salvation, but it seems that the Holy Spirit intervened and compelled him to write again, write instead about contending for their faith. I just have this picture in my mind of Jude sitting down at his writing desk. He's already, he gets out his quill and his ink, and he's going to write this lovely, encouraging, hope-filled letter about salvation. But instead the Holy Spirit goes, "Uh uh-uh, that's not what we're doing today, Jude. We are talking about contending for the faith. And Jude talks about the fact that pressures are going to come external pressures or internal pressures. There are plenty of warnings in scripture that this is going to happen. Sam spoke at Big Church a couple of weeks ago. If you didn't get a chance to hear him, do listen back. He spoke powerfully about those external pressures which come on the church, commonly known as persecution. And persecution is often counterproductive for the church because often it ends up refining and renewing the church. But here in the book of Jude, He's talking about internal pressure that comes. The pressure that comes when there are false teachers in the church. And he says in verse 4, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. He's warning that church can be destroyed by internal compromise or corruption. And he's saying to the people, you need to contend for your faith. The church is under attack. And even in our current culture, there are podcasts, there are tweets, there are YouTube videos. It's really easy to promote things other than the truth. But we, as God's people, are to fight for the faith that we've been given. We're to be aware of false teachers and their agendas. Now, interestingly, Jude doesn't start with um, how to contend for the faith. He starts by focusing on the teachers who have slipped in among the people because they're not obvious. And it's really a warning here about two Christians, about the false teachers who are moving the goalposts, allowing anything and everything, even encouraging sexual immorality, peddling a distortion of the faith. One of our really good friends, Alexander Venter, he says this, in the Bible, God's route to wholeness in the life of a believer is through holiness. And that's what Jude is pointing us to. So if you look in your Bible, between verses 4 and 16, Jude starts a critique of these teachers. And he does it by reminding the readers of a series of stories that they already know. And the first three stories are reminders of stories where people stopped following God. So he starts off in verse 5. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt 
but later destroyed those who did not believe. So he's talking about the Exodus story, where God's chosen people stopped trusting God, even though he'd saved the people supernaturally out of Egypt. They'd walked through the Red Sea, which had split in two. They'd been fed daily with manna. The older generation still did not believe that the promised land was good or that God was good. They grumbled and they moaned and they wanted to go back to Egypt. Unbelief spread through the whole community of people. And so a whole generation died in the wilderness and didn't enter the promised land. Then Jude starts talking about angels being imprisoned for, re- for rebellion. And this is from the book of First Enoch, which obviously we don't really know much about. But Jude is warning against using God's grace as a reason to sin. And he references the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis, where violent men tried to have sex with Abraham's guests who were visiting angels. And then we have a story about the tomb of Moses, which also is not in our Bibles, but it's from another Jewish manuscript called the Testament of Moses. And there's a story in there about Satan trying to tempt the Israelites to find the tomb of Moses so that the people could worship Moses instead of God. Now, these stories seem really strange to us, but to the ancient Jewish Jewish believers, the behavior of these corrupt teachers has roots way back in history, and they understood the stories in that light. Rebellion against God's authority, sexual immorality, and rejecting God's messengers. Jude then connects to a second trio of examples that we see, and he names leaders who were rebels and went on to corrupt other people. And their rebellion contaminated a community of people. Jude says, this is not what we want to happen. So you see in in verse 11, woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain, they have rushed for profit into Balaam's error, they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Again, stories that we don't know much about. So what's he saying? Well, he's saying, remember the story of Cain and Abel? Cain was jealous and he murdered his brother. And then he went on to build a city where violence reigned. Balaam was a sorcerer. He couldn't curse God's people, so he lured them into idolatry and into sexual corruption. And then Korah, he was a cousin of Moses. And because of his jealousy of Moses, led a rebellion that ended in disaster for other people. So Jude is explaining these are what these false teachers are like. They're rebellious men. They're divisive men. They're people that are leading God's people away from God. And then Jude presents a series of really quite poetic images to illustrate still more vividly what these false preachers are like. I can imagine Jude getting up quite ahead of steam. He's saying they're like selfish shepherds. Selfish shepherds are those who tend to themselves and not to their flock. Like, what is the point of that? They're like clouds without rain. He's he's referring to some verses in Proverbs. They're like autumn trees without fruit. They're like wild waves of the sea. And he says they're foaming up their shame. They're like shooting stars. They're pretty for a second, but then they go black again. They can't help you navigate. Shooting stars are not a fixed point. So what do you think might be the link between those five things? Shepherds who tend to themselves, clouds without rain, trees without fruit, wild waves, and shooting stars. Anybody think of a link? It's like a quiz show, isn't it? Well, the link is that all of these things are useless. So Jude is saying the false preachers that you're listening to, they're useless. 
Jude gets really full on. I, he, he's getting more and more agitated. And he starts quoting again from the book of First Enoch about the judgments that's coming on these people. And he ends up in verse 16. These people are grumblers and fault finders following their own evil desires, boasting about themselves, flattering others for their own advantage. And Jude is really clear. You can't get much clearer than that. Then and now, we can and we must expect higher standards from leaders. Leaders in the church should be trying to be like Christ, trying to emulate the character of Christ. And at this point, where Judah's writing, the leaders simply weren't. But in general, in our society, leaders are meant to live by higher standards. They're meant to set an example. And when they don't, it should be called out. We've seen it in our political world recently, haven't we? Where people have been making sacrifice and some of our leaders have been saying one thing and doing another thing, and people are rightly enraged. Jude's a little bit like an investigative journalist kind of exposing the hypocrisy in the church, and he's saying don't fall for it and don't put up with it. Honestly, when leaders, do one th leaders say one thing and do another thing, it's just wrong. And I'm not making a political point, although there has been quite a lot of that just recently. I'm making a leadership point. Now in the church, sadly, over the years, we've seen people excuse all sorts of nonsense in the lives of leaders in the church as a whole. Everything from ungodly and unkind behaviour, we've seen bullying, spiritual abuse, sexual immorality, even sexual abuse. We've seen coercion, control, financial abuse, People committing adultery and claiming to have been led by the Holy Spirit. People they claiming that they have a natural wife and a spiritual life. People having a new take on the historic convictions of faith, believing that they have fresh revelation and justifying a departure from what Jude would call the most holy faith. We've also seen people excusing behaviour because of gifting or anointing. We've witnessed an unwillingness to confront leaders because people have become dependent on them. And it is deeply, deeply sad. For us, um, it, one of the benefits and one of the blessings of being in a family of churches is that it provides a safeguard. It provides a safeguard for you and it provides a safeguard for us. Because leaders in the vineyard movement are not self-appointed and we're not self-regulated. And it is deeply sad and we grieve for every moment in the church where we see leaders falling. And Jude is speaking into the situation. He's warning against all this nonsense, but nonsense is a bit of a light word for this. He talks powerfully about it. And by the end of verse 16, Jude has come to the end of his warnings. And now he says what we can do about it, how we can persevere, how we can contend for our faith. So it's a call to persevere. And we see four responses that we can have. The first response is don't be surprised. Sadly, don't be surprised. You see in verse 17, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who will divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Jesus said there'd be false teachers. The apostles said there'd be false teachers. Don't be surprised, Jude says. Watch and understand what is happening. Jude says, be aware, guys. Be aware. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are divisive people. Be careful of them. If you read the book of Titus, 
you'll see lots and lots of things to be aware of. It's really sad that we have to be aware of them, but we do. And I think there should be... Look at that. You, it's actually quite difficult to tell which is... Well, to tell it's a wolf, the one on the left. But it is. Look at its teeth. And the sad thing is that sometimes people slip in and you can't quite see them. The second response is that we are to take responsibility for our own discipleship. Verse 20, but you, dear friends, but build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Much as we would like to, we cannot delegate the responsibility for our own development in the Christian life to anyone but ourselves. We have to build ourselves up in faith. And Jude gives us a couple of ideas on how to do it. Firstly, we're to pray in the Holy Spirit. That is how we keep in touch with God. Ephesians 6, you'll see that we're instructed to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So we need to learn to pray in the Spirit in every type of situation, every context, every challenge that we face in life. And the good news is that the Holy Spirit wants to help us in our weakness when we don't know what to pray. So to pray in the Spirit is to pray following the leading of the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God himself, and he's available to us all. And to pray in the Spirit is to pray in line with all that the Scripture inspires, and this, of course, is primarily found in the book. If we get to know what's in here, we can pray in accordance with what God has said. Smith Wigglesworth said this, There are great possibilities as we yield to the Spirit and speak unto God in the quiet place in our bedrooms. Your bedroom might not be quiet, but another quiet place would be good. God wants you to be filled with the Holy Ghost so that everything about you shall be charged with the very dynamite of heaven. In an honest moment, he said, we must be edified in the Lord before we can edify others. There never was a weaker man called to lead. Language, none. Inability, full of it. All natural things in my life point exactly opposite to my being able to stand and lead or preach. But anyone who's read stories about Smith Wigglesworth knew that he was one of the most powerful, anointed preachers and healers and teachers that we've ever seen in this country. And the way that he got to that place was by praying in the Spirit. The spiritual gift of praying in tongues is different from praying in the Spirit. We can all pray in the Spirit. Many of us can pray in tongues as well, but it's different. So just if you don't pray in tongues, then you can ask God for that gift, but it doesn't stop you praying in the Spirit if you've not received that yet. So the spiritual gift of praying in tongues is also especially helpful because anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. When we pray in tongues, we kind of catalyze the power of the Holy Spirit in us. It, it, it kind of excites the Holy Spirit activity in us and it increases our sensitivity to what the Holy Spirit is doing and how God wants us to pray. So the second instruction that Jude gives us is pray and keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it quite easy to keep myself in lots of different places which are not the love of God. So I find it quite easy to keep myself in anxiety or keep myself in worry or fill in the blanks. Maybe you find it easy to keep yourself in self-pity or maybe you find it easy to keep yourself in fear or depression. But Jude is instructing us to keep ourselves in the love of God. 
We can choose to do that, friends. We can choose to stay in that place where we're aware, where we're kept, where we're safeguarded by the love of God. And one way we do that is by obeying his commands. In John 14, it says, if you love me, obey my commands. And then the next chapter, John writes, if you keep my commands, then you will remain in my love. So it's quite easy. If we obey the commands of Jesus, if we love him, then we'll obey his commands. And if we keep his commands, we remain in his love. It's a bit of like a, like a cycle, a positive cycle. So I can choose to keep myself in the love of God rather than in all those negative things by keeping the commands of Jesus and trying to follow what he says. Third response for how to contend for our faith is to show mercy. Jude says that we're to carefully and wisely love and where possible rescue those who fall under the influence of the, of the infiltrators. He says in verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Jude is calling for mercy. At the very beginning, he starts, doesn't he, with mercy, grace, and peace. And here he's, he's coming back to that mercy thing. We're to save people and the ones we can't save, we're to show mercy. Now, if we're honest, when we're faced with a grumbler or a fault finder or something, somebody grumpy, mercy probably isn't the first thing that springs to mind. Lots of other responses probably pop into your head. And we like mercy for ourselves, but we actually like justice for other people if we're honest. But God treats us with mercy. So we are to love our enemies. We are to bless those who curse us. We are to be merciful just as our Father in heaven is merciful. And if we've messed up, then God has mercy for us. God's grace gives us a new start. And if this morning you're feeling like, do you know what? I've just messed up in some areas of my life. God wants to come to you with a hand of mercy and show you how to put things right. Last response, number four, recall the promise. We have a future with Christ and we need to live our lives now in the light of that future. We're to keep our focus on Christ and live remembering that one day we will spend the rest of our lives with him. And as disciples of Jesus, Jude is promising us that it's, in, it's perfectly possible to go through life without stumbling, without falling, because the love of God will keep us from doing that. And we're to understand that really clearly. So in conclusion, God's grace in Jesus requires a whole life response. Jude doesn't focus just on theology. He focuses on moral choices. He focuses on building ourselves up in our faith. He focuses on contending for faith, on fighting for, for good morals rather than immorality. He says, if you really love me, you'll obey my teaching. And for us as Christians, how we live is the most reliable indicator of what we actually believe. It's what others see, and it's how we keep ourselves in God's love. And then at the very end of the book of Jude, in verse 24, he ends with this absolutely beautiful doxology. It's just it's the, some of the most beautiful words. Listen to this. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. 
And I love that. And the, the picture, the image that I have in my mind is that Jude has been sitting at his desk, like I mentioned earlier, with his quill and his bottle of ink. And he's been writing. And he's been inspired by the Holy Spirit all the way through his book. He started off thinking he was going to write one thing. He ended up writing another. But in the writing, he has been caught up with the Holy Spirit into this place where he just sees God for who he is. And he pours out his worship of God in this last um, couple of sentences. It's absolutely beautiful. And I, th- I just think the Holy Spirit was absolutely on him. And you see him pouring it out there. So to recap, don't be surprised. Some people have been surprised and damaged by leaders. You might be sitting here going, do you know what? I felt really damaged by leaders in the past. And I'm so sorry for that. It's wrong. It shouldn't happen. And we'd love to pray for you. We're to take responsibility for our own discipleship, to pray, to pray in the spirit, to stay in God's love. We're to show mercy to others, whether they deserve it or not. And we're to recall the promise that we have a future with Christ and he is able to keep you from falling. So I hope that that has given you a little bit of an insight into the book of Jude. You probably won't hear another sermon on Jude for quite some time. But I think there's lots in there, isn't there, that we can respond to God with. So why don't we stand? Maybe we can have the worship team back up again. And I think we're going to just see what the Lord wants to do. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. Why not come along and visit us? We gather at three services across two sites on a Sunday and meet during the week in small groups across the city. More information on both of these can be found on our website. Thanks for listening and God bless.